Good morning. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I come before you because I need your help to preach, to proclaim your beloved son. Help me, Lord. I ask you also for everyone who's inside this building or anyone who may hear this sermon. I ask you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is the one who's teaching them and the Holy Spirit is the one proclaiming Christ for them. In his precious name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue on the book of Colossians. I started the book of Colossians, and it's my, uh, it's my goal to preach the entire book of Colossians. This is the third uh, sermon from Colossians. And... Um, we are in Colossians chapter 1, and um, I'll begin reading from uh, verses 12 through 17. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and in or, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you know the history of the nation of Israel, you know that God used Moses to get his nation out of bondage, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And when Israel was finally free, uh, they were searching for the promised land. And Israel is divided into 12 tribes, the 12 uh, sons of Jacob. Israel had 12 sons. And the Bible tells us that the sons of Aaron, the Levites, they, whenever the nation of Israel finds the promised land, the Levites, they would not receive land. Their portion was Jehovah. Their portion was God. So once they received this promised land, they would divide the land between the 12 tribes. But this tribe, they would not receive a piece of land because their portion their inheritance 
was God himself. He will provide for them. He will provide for their needs, for their families. And when I was preparing Colossians, what we're going to study today, what I was, when I was preparing this sermon, it came to my mind that probably the sons of Aaron, this tribe, they were looking at everybody else receiving land. Their portion, oh, I have this land, I want this land. But they were not receiving any land. And you, Christian, you may see outside, and you may see everything that is going around you, and how everybody else receives something, or has something, but you, Christian, your portion is Christ. And it's my belief that the reason you're worried, the reason you are sad and stressful most of the time, is because you still don't understand what it means that Christ is your portion. You still don't understand what it means that your portion is God. You're still looking around, and you still see others, and you still think that they have better than you. But when I was preparing for Colossians, and when Paul begins describing Christ, when Paul begins describing who Christ is, you should worry no more. All that is in your head, all that is taking your sleep away, all your stress should be gone immediately. Because of who he is. Christ. He is precious indeed. And that's your portion. And even, even if you see others. Even if you look at others around you. Receiving and having and enjoying their portion of land. But you Christian. Your portion is Christ himself. And when you understand who Christ is, then you have joy. Even if you're suffering. Even if you're going through hardship. Even if you don't have enough. Even if life hurts. And it does. But because you understand who Christ is, then life, even if it hurts, is joyful. Because you know who he is. So, let's go to Colossians chapter 1. I want to remind you some reminders. The the main reason the Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians, the main reason he writes this letter, these are reminders from past sermons, the main reason he writes to the Colossians is because Epaphras, the local pastor in there, uh, out of the southern is not enough for the Colossians anymore. There's other false teachings. And we read on Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, how the apostle Paul is supporting this local pastor. So some of the main reasons for the apostle Paul to write to the Colossians is to support Epaphras, the beloved fellow bond servant who's faithful servant of Christ. 
Another reason for the Apostle Paul to write to the Colossians is to expose and to confront false teachings. There's been, there's been some false teachings in Colossians. If you remember, uh, it may be just one person, or maybe it's multiple teachers. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, I say this so that no one will deceive you. Verse 8 says, no one who takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceptions. Verse 16, therefore no one is to add as your judge. Verse 18, take care that no one keeps defrauding you of your prize. So there's been some false teachings that we learned in chapter 2. That there's one that had, if you remember, a vision, verse 18, taking his stand on visions that he has seen, he has interrupted the teaching of Epaphras. He has interrupted the good teaching of Epaphras, and now they're teaching empty deceptions, they're teaching philosophies of men, and they're defrauding them from their price. So those are some of the reasons the Apostle Paul is writing to the Colossians. If you remember the past sermon, the last time I preached from Colossians, a quick review, it was, what is God's will for your life? And it's very simple. God wants you to increase in the knowledge of Him. God wants you to be fruitful. And God wants you to be thankful. That's the will of God for your life. Now, today... On verse 13, the Apostle Paul continues giving you reasons to be thankful. At the end of verse 12, on chapter 1, we read, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Last time we talked about why you should be thankful because of the great salvation that we have. You should be thankful for the salvation because the Father has qualified you to receive this salvation. And now the Apostle Paul continues on verse 13 to give you more reasons to be thankful. Verse 13, for he rescued us. The he right there is God the Father. God the Father rescued us. For he rescued us. Where did he rescue us from? From the domain of darkness. And what did God the Father do after he rescued us from the domain of darkness? He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness. I really don't know most of you. And even if I spend a lot of time for, for, with you... Probably I would uh, know still a little about you. But this I know. That if you are a Christian, if you are a believing, born-again Christian, this is your testimony. Even though I don't know you, I know your testimony. Your testimony is you were rescued from darkness. There was a time in your life that you were walking in darkness. There was a time in your life that you loved darkness. John chapter 3, verse 19. 
And this is the, the judgment that the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. That's your testimony if you're a Christian. You were in darkness. And you were in darkness not against your will. You love darkness. You wanted to be there. Luke chapter 1 verse 79. To shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. This is talking about the horn of salvation, the prophecy that Christ was coming. And when he came, he shined to those who sit in darkness. That's your testimony. You were sitting in darkness. John chapter 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And we can go on and on about your past. See, I really don't know you much, but I really know about your past. You were evil. You were really evil. You were walking on darkness, and you love it, and you were enjoying that. But glory to our God that he rescued us from there. Our pastor this morning, he finished the study saying, that's really dark. It is dark. And you were there. And the only reason your family, your friends that you love, and you praying for them for God to save them, and the only reason you talk to them hour after hour, and you spend so much time talking to them and trying to understand. And the re only reason you, you do everything in your hands for them to understand, and you say, so easy. You should understand this. It's really easy. The only reason they don't understand, even if they have a doctor's degree, the only reason they don't understand is because they are in darkness. They're blind. They're walking in darkness. And the only one, the only one capable and able to save them, to rescue them, is God himself. God himself is the only one who can save those walking in darkness. So God the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14 in whom we have redemption. So we learn that we've been rescued, that we are transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. But the question is how? By which means did he rescue us? Well, he used his beloved son, in, in whom we have redemption, in whom we have forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. Now, forgiveness of sins? The Son, the beloved Son, he, through Him is that we receive forgiveness of sins? Please open your Bible to Luke chapter 5. 
Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to read this for you. And I want you to see that what the Apostle Paul just said, the forgiveness of sins, is a very deep theological matter. Forgiveness of sins? How can you be forgiven of your sins? How can God forgive you of your sins? How can that be possible? So on Luke chapter 5 verse 17, one day he was teaching. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healings. And some men were carrying a man on a stretcher who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But when they did not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the, up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. How many heard this story before? Pretty much everyone, I guess. Even our children. They color this scene, right? They, they, they're very familiar with this scene. We, we heard this before. But now look at verse 20. This is what's happening. And seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. This is Christ our Lord forgiving the sins of these paralyzed men. The scribes and the Pharisees began thinking of the implications. So they like, wait, what just happened? They're began to think of the implications of what the Lord just said, of what Jesus just said. And they're saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? And they ask, who can forgive sins except God alone? See, these Pharisees are not wrong. Who can forgive sins but God alone? God alone can forgive sins. And when we are in Colossians, and when, we, when Paul says, In whom we have redemptions, the forgiveness of sins. In him we have forgiveness of sins. In Christ, your sins been forgiven because of Christ. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Why does he have the authority to forgive sins? Remember the Pharisees. Only God alone can forgive sins. How can these men forgive sins? Well, I hope you know that Jesus is God. I hope this is not a brand new news for you. Jesus is God. He's part of the Trinity. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And the forgiveness of sins can only be accomplished by the blood of Christ. The reason he can forgive sins is because he paid for them. He paid for your sins. So he can forgive your sins. Now, Going back to the Colossians, what are the false 
teachers or teacher telling the Colossians? What is this false, false teaching that the Apostle Paul is confronting? What are they hearing? Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Pretty much, these false teachers or teacher are telling the Colossians that Christ is not enough and that they must submit themselves to decrease and self-made religion. That they must follow men. That they must follow their visions, they must follow their laws, that they must follow their decrees, that they must submit to that. Why? Because Christ is not enough. The blood of Christ is not enough. You must help him. The reason why the self-made religion, religion that they're teaching is wrong is because they have the wrong Jesus. They have a Jesus who's not able to redeem and who's not able to forgive their sins. And since this Jesus is not able to fully redeem and is not able to fully forgive your sins, then you must follow the teachings of men. If you have the wrong Jesus, then you must follow men. You must follow what they're saying. You become a follower of men in whatever they're teaching you. If you have the wrong Jesus, you must help him. He needs your help. Because his blood is not worthy enough. He needs you. And you must do. If you have the wrong Jesus... The wrong Jesus that they're teaching, if you have that Jesus, then you don't have the Jesus of First Peter, First Peter chapter 1, verse 19. But with the precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And let me tell you, if the Jesus that needs your help and his blood is not precious and his blood is not worthy enough, then you, you must help them. You must do something. But the Jesus of John the Baptist, when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, the reason the Apostle Paul Writes, beginning in verse 15, what we uh, describe as the supremacy of Christ. The reason he begins describing who Jesus is, is because they have the wrong Jesus. And he must put it right in front of them and say, let me tell you who my Jesus is. Let me tell you the Jesus that I met in the road to Damascus. Let me tell you about the Jesus who has been prophesied. The Jesus who is able to redeem and forgive sins. So he begins in verse 15. This beautiful and wonderful description of who Christ is. Ready? Verse 15. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And through him, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. I want you to know that from what I just read, the word he, his, himself, talking about Christ, is appears there 14 times. He, his, himself. He is the image for him, by him, he himself, 14 times. Talking about the beloved son. He, this is Christ, he. And the word all, everything, fullness, nine times. Now, I want you to do a quick a quick view from verses 15 through verse 21 and I want you to find the word you or the word me or the word us do a quick view how many times does the word you or me isn't there? How many? To a quick view. How many times? And the answer is zero. Who are you? According to Paul, you're not even worthy of mention here. It's all about him. And everything is his. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do to redeem yourself or to have your sins forgiven. You're incapable of that. You can. There's nothing you can do to have your sins forgiven. Zero. You, me, us, you don't find it there. Zero. It's completely by Christ alone. In contrast to the weak Jesus, the false Teachers teach, the Apostle Paul just described it, the real Jesus, the almighty Jesus, which, which is capable to redeem and to forgive sins. The Jesus that we just read, do you see that he needs your help? He owns everything. Everything holds together because of him. He needs your help to save you. 
He needs your help to forgive your sins. He is all. That's the difference between the Jesus that Paul just described and the Jesus that these false teachers in Colossians are teaching the Colossians. Because they were worshiping angels. We don't have all the information, but it looks like the Jesus that they were teaching looked more like a good prophet, a good person, or even an angel, an angelical being. See, today, those teachings are still running around. There's still false religions and false teachers who tell you that Jesus was just a good prophet. Or a nice, good person, a good teacher. Or maybe an angel, like some false sets tell you that Jesus is just an angel. But the Apostle Paul says, no. This Jesus is the image, the invisible image of God. See, on Exodus chapter 32, we have a narrative of the nation of Israel again. And in this narrative, they, Moses goes to the mountain to receive word from God. Aaron, the, uh, the priest, is left alone with the nation of Israel. And Moses takes too long, so they decide, well, this Moses... It's taken too long. We need to worship. We need to do something. So they convince Aaron to make to make them a God. So Aaron says, here Israel, today the feast to the Lord. So they're going to have a worship, uh, worship service. And this worship service is dedicated to the Lord, to God, to Yahweh. And they make this golden metal uh, image of God. And Aaron says, this is your God. They make an image of God. This is your God. Well, you continue reading. You learn that Moses come back. Things are very bad. He's very angry. God is angry because they made a metal gold image of him. They dare to make an image of God. And Moses says, what did these people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? It's a great sin to say this is the image of God. Yet, we have Paul, a Jew, Hebrew, Hebrews, and now he says, he, verse 15, is the image of the invisible God, let me tell you, Paul is committing, doing the same sin that Aaron did, unless, unless Jesus is God. Unless Jesus is the image, the invisible image of God, the invisible God. The reason 
Paul has now committed a sin is because Jesus, the full deity of God, dwells in him. It's not a sin, what he just said, because Jesus is really the image of the invisible God. Now, I have prepared more, but because of time, we're going to stop here. But before we leave, I want to ask you some things. Which Jesus do you believe in? Are you believing in the Jesus that needs your help? And you may say, oh, Samuel, we are all Christians here. We all believe in the Trinity. We believe in God. We believe that it's Christ alone. But are you living a life? You living in your mind, you living a life trusting in this Jesus? Or is your mind and your life full of plans and ideas and smart ideas because you need to help Jesus? Because he's not powerful, worthy, or he's not able to keep you. He's not able to sustain you. He's not able. Which, which Jesus are you believing in? The Jesus who's just only a prophet, just a good person, a, a good teacher? Are you believing in a Jesus that needs your good works? In a Jesus that needs for you to, to help him because he, he's really not able. He, he needs at least you to do a little bit. Or you believe on the Jesus that the Apostle Paul described. Are you believing in this Jesus that he's mighty, powerful, and that he's coming again? See, the problem with believing on the false teaching, on the false Jesus, I'm sorry. The big problem with believing in the false Jesus is that the the only option left for you is to follow these teachings of men. When you don't follow the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that the Apostle Paul described, if you're not following and believing in this Jesus, you will follow these men. You will follow these false teachings. On Matthew chapter 23, Verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven in front of people. For you do not enter it yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you made him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. If you're following the wrong Jesus, you are just making others sons of hell. My prayer for you is that you believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Not the Jesus of 
of a denomination or, or a popular Jesus, but the Jesus of the Bible. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. The one that follows him. Follow Christ. And again, you may say, I, I'm already a Christian. I am. I, uh, I believe in him. I'm believing on the right Jesus. I believe in the, in the Jesus of the Bible. Good. Now live like it. Stop worrying. Seriously. Stop worrying about what's outside. You know what it means that you really believe Jesus? It means that you go in your mind and you think about the worst case scenario. Think about the worst case scenario that can happen to you. Worst case scenario. Okay, by 2 o'clock, you're in the news. Your picture's in the news. You've been accused of murder. You're, you're of course, uh, innocent, but you're accused of murder, and they, you're all over the news. I don't know. What's the worst case scenario? You lose everything. Uh, loved ones die. What is the worst case scenario? And when you do that, even the worst case scenario in your mind, the thing that you worry about, even when you go there in your mind and you think about that worst case scenario, you still say, it's okay. I have Christ. I have Christ. Even in your worst case scenario, if you're able to go there in your mind and think about the worst thing that can happen to you, even in that position, you still have the peace and you still have the tenfoldness to say, I have Christ. Christ is my portion. Christ saved me. And even if everything else is burning, I can still have peace and joy because I have Christ. See, that's what it means to believe in Christ. That's what it means that you really believe in this Christ because you know how precious he is. You know how worthy he is. You know who he is. Therefore, everything else is small. Everything else it's easy. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying you're not, gonna, you're not going to cry. But now Christ is so big. Christ is so big that everything else looks small. John the Baptist says, I must decrease. And he must increase. That's my prayer for you today and this week for you to decrease and for this Christ that the Apostle Paul describes beginning on verse 15 for Christ to be bigger and bigger in your mind, in your life in your everyday walk because you're not longer walking in darkness you're not longer in the domain of darkness, he rescued you 
Let's pray. Oh God, what what a blessing it is to have this portion of the Bible that through your Holy Spirit you inspire the Apostle Paul to write and to describe to us who Christ is. Lord, we're always busy. We always worry. We always, there's always something in our mind. There's always taking our peace from us. Stealing from our prize, which is Christ. Lord, I, I pray, because you know me, Lord. You know each person here, each person who's hearing this message. You know us. And you, you know how easy it is for us to forgive, to follow, to do the wrong. Just as the Colossians, they heard from Epaphras. They heard from him before, the true. But now the Apostle Paul needs to remind them who is the one who rescued them. Who is the one who forgave their sins. I ask you, Lord, that you do the same for my brothers and sisters here that you remind them who is this great Savior that we have, Jesus Christ, the Almighty, the All-Powerful. All was created through him and for him and by him. He sustains everything. Everything is holding together because of him. That's the one who is in our side. Made this true bigger in their minds, in their heart, in their life. So, they can love you more and glorify you more, Lord. And it is in his precious name that we pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.